With Melbourne in hard lockdown, many businesses are closed, outdoor movement is restricted, and an evening curfew is enforced. This has caused our schools to substantially close and moved the great majority of students to working from home in what's termed remote and flexible learning. This week we asked three of our members how this was working and asked them to share their experiences and insights during this most unusual year. Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. Lockie Hunter, famous from episode 15 on our men's pennant A, returns to talk about the impact to secondary school teaching. He's followed by women's Premier League goalkeeper Caitlin Smith, who is a kinder teacher doing some amazing work managing our youngest group of school kids remotely. We then speak with primary teacher Lena Perryman, who plays in our women's pennant A team and is one of the club's newly trained mental health first aider. Presenting the guests, we welcome Kelly Simmons to our hosting team. Kelly has been a member of the club for almost 20 years when daughter Britt started playing. She's coordinated the Minky or Hook into Hockey program, served on the junior committees, dabbled a little in playing masters, and has also recently trained to be one of our 25 strong mental health first aid team. Kelly is an educational professional herself previously teaching at all levels and now working on research and evaluation of curriculum and department initiatives. Here's Kelly. Thank you. I'm very fortunate to be invited to host a podcast with an educational focus and very fortunate to be with three teacher colleagues across three areas of the education system who are going to share their experiences, perspectives and tips around remote and flexible learning. And our first guest Today is Lucky Hunter, and we've got a few questions, and the questions sort of sit around um, Lockie's role, uh, his response to the remote and flexible learning, um, what it's meant for partnering with young learners and parents, and also where to next with with this experience. So, Lockie, I'll let you just begin with giving us a bit of an idea of what your role is and what you do within education. Uh, thanks, Kelly. I am a teacher. I've been teaching for six years now. Um, I teach at Heathmont College, uh, which is out near Ringwood. Um, it is my first school. I really love uh, teaching out at Heathmont College. I predominantly teach uh, science, um, including Year 12 biology. I have taught maths as well. And um, I'm actually a part of a team that has established a special Year 9 program uh, called Nine Life. Um, it's been running at the school for four years, so we might get into that a little bit later on. In my time at the school, I've been lucky to um, be given or provided some really great opportunities as a leader early on in my career. Um, so I've been a learning specialist in curriculum and pedagogy, um, which is a leading teacher role. I've been a year level coordinator for a few years um, at year, year nine year level, um, and my current role at the school is as the head of science. I love getting involved in the extracurricular components of the school, one of the reasons why I became a teacher. So the hockey, um, obviously, in other sports, going on uh, overseas trips, Indonesia, going to Central Australia, school camps, um, and organising students to attend. Um, the Alpine School for Student Leadership has also been a highlight for me um, whilst working at Heathmont. Wow, that's amazing. In six years, they've obviously identified some wonderful leadership qualities and your passion there, Lockie. So a lot of those things would have come to a halt since March, April, when we had to respond as teachers and schools to the remote and flexible learning. So how did you or your school approach the remote and flexible learning? And I'm guessing that the camps and the hockey has all come to a halt. Yes, unfortunately, which is one of the big downsides and um, I guess it's been felt across all society and we have, have, have had to adapt um, in a wide, a wide range of ways. In terms of our approach, we have been a school-wide approach and it is kind of the way that I like to teach and lead some of my teams, that collaborative approach. So we do have a school-wide approach to this remote and flexible learning as we have decided that all students should have access to the same curriculum within the individual subjects as their peers. And as a teaching team, we like to share the load and work collaboratively to develop you know, our, our teaching plans. So the way we've done it um, at our school is that lesson plans are posted each day on our online platform, Compass, um, and these are the same across 
all the year seven science classes or the year, all the year eight science classes. So within this lesson plan, we like to put a, a learning intention for the lesson so students are clear what they are going to be achieving in that lesson. Some success criteria. So these are I can statements. So by the end of this 40 minutes of work, they should be able to do this. Um, so for example, I can describe the process of photosynthesis would be one for my year 12 biology class. Um, just so to make it really clear to the students what you know they're gonna be achieving, um, which I think is really important. Um, and then in that lesson, each task was clearly highlighted. And then a reflection stage as well, where students were asked to um, message the teacher with a reflection question they have based on the lesson to help us plan for future lessons. Um, in terms of the online aspect of it, in our first lockdown, we had probably a WebEx lesson, so an online lesson every second or third lesson with the class, so not every lesson. Um, this was different for the VC classes because um, they kind of needed um, greater support um, through all the content. But, yeah, we did have um, WebEx lessons and it wasn't for the whole time. It was more probably setting up the class or setting up a unit of work for 10, 15 minutes. And I guess from a science point of view, we kind of made the decision to get the theory-based topics out of the way in this in this time. We weren't expecting it to be uh, so long, the lockdown, but our plan was to get do some of the content of the theory-based topics such as classification for year seven or geology for year eight in this time. So then when you, when you get back to school, we could do a lot more experiments because I guess our philosophy as a science team at Heathmont is to have a lot of hands-on opportunities just based on the cohort of students that we have. Um, so, yeah, we brought forward the theory-based topics for this time. So what did you do in that little snippet that we had where we reopened in May and June? Did you run straight back into uh, the non-theory-based ones or did you just hold on to those theory-based topics? We did do a lot of um, experiments. We, we've got, as science teachers, we have lots of activities up our sleeves. So we kind of did bring, I guess, the fun into it in that in that period of time. So, for example, one activity we have, we've got a lot of straws and connectors and we had competitions with the students to build the tallest tower or the most stable bridge, things like that in that period of time. What did you think the students were missing in that time? Was that, that hands-on? Was that the part that they were missing or the equipment that you have that they wouldn't have had at home? Yeah, definitely, and that, I guess that makes it tricky or challenging teaching science in that time, the access to the special uh, equipment, the Bunsen burners and beakers, conic flasks, etc. and, the, you know, the explosions, I guess. Um, but <laughs> the thing that they missed most and what I missed most about teaching in the classroom was those connections and relationships with both students and other staff at the school as well, um, so that's including teachers, ES staff, lab tech, yeah, so those, you know, relationships. Yeah. So what's your new learning here around partnerships and young young people and parents? Like if you, can you give us an example of maybe where it worked really well for a particular family and there might be some little tips there for our, our listeners to grab onto it? I, I guess I don't have a, a, a specific example, but I think there's been countless students that have had an increased work ethic whilst at home and focus at home, maybe because they haven't had the distractions of their peers whilst they're working through the lesson. I think it's worked really well when parents or guardians have helped set up the working space. So it is free of distractions from games, um, uh, from, you know, um, other family members. They've got that quiet working space where they can sit down and go through the work um, without those distractions. And it has, I guess, helped for a lot that parents have been working from home as well. I know it has obviously been really tricky because parents have their own work to do, um, but I guess it increases that accountability of you can't just sit on, on a, a gaming device all day or watch movies all day. There, You do have your work to do. It's just going to be at home. Um, so I'm not sure if it would have been as successful in some of the cases if parents weren't as home, at home to help provide that guidance. Um, and again, I know there is difference between secondary and primary school as well. Another a big thing that has helped some students 
is setting up a plan at the start of the day. So we, at our school, we have a mentor group program where I'm in charge of 20 students um, across year 7 to 12 and we meet each day and we help set up their plans. And one of my recommendations, um, and a lot of them have taken this up, is at the start of the day, write a list of things they need to do in that day and specific timings. So let's say period one, you have 9 9 a.m., you're going to start that class, you're finishing at 9.40. If you don't get that done past that time, that's okay. You can message your teacher, that's what I got done. And then period two, let's give yourself a 10-minute break. So schedule in those breaks and then from 9.50, move on to lesson two and then throughout the day, schedule it um, just to, you know, track how uh, how you're going to go about the day um, rather than some students may just see themselves in front of the computer from nine till five all day because they're struggling. They want to get through all this work, but they haven't had that time to step away. And I guess having these breaks for these students mm. that have worked well, um, these breaks have been effective and they've probably been more productive throughout the day. Yeah. Um, what sort of things might they do in those breaks? Any suggestions or, or is it just up to each individual of what they wanted to do that could be checking their phone? Or Yeah. Um, I guess from chats with some of mine, they, a couple of them um, had a really good idea where they went on a walk um, but they really, I guess the thing they really missed was the connection with their their friends. So they were able to have their phone in their pocket, connect to their headphones and set up an online chat with, you know, three or four of them. And they actually talked to each other whilst they were going on that walk, um, whether that be at schoolwork or just um, the chats that they would normally have in the classroom or at lunchtime or recess. Um, so that's one thing they did in those breaks. Yeah. So I suppose it would be synchronising that with your friends too. Like if you are designing your plan, setting up your plan for the day, well, at 9.40 I'm having a 10-minute break. That's after 40 minutes of learning. Yeah, as a school we had did put up a recommendation of timings um, as a whole, so breaks could be at this time. So they didn't have to, but a lot found that was good for us to provide a, a you know a solid structure for them to work through. And the research across um, across the board really is that need for connection and the sense of belonging and with the remote and flexible learning that needs to be a critical part of it. So it's great that um, your school has ensured that there is that in the day. So vision, and this is sort of now we know this, um, where might we go? So... Um, so, Lockie, can you give us a little bit of an idea of if this is some new patterns have sort of emerged and we've become more aware of what's re- what really matters in education, what do you see as learning looking like in schools in the near future? I've jotted down a few thoughts and this exercise of being on this podcast has allowed me to reflect because I guess like many people we've been caught up with this um, whole transition and uh, the workload is high at the moment, trying to get all the the content out for students in advance. Um, But I think one of the big things is the scope for more independent independent learning tasks in that inquiry style, because as teachers, we we struggle like giving away control within our classes. Um, We've got things we want to get through or tick off. But I think we have given some more project style tasks in this time, and it has been really successful. And parents and students have said that these style of tasks have worked for them and they have been uh, learning as a result. So that's one thing I think I personally will try and implement more when back in the classroom um, because studies have shown that students learn best when they're looking at things that interest them and they have a say in what what they're they're studying and learning learning about. So that's uh, one thing. And I think another one is that the use of technology has been really successful. So we have fast-tracked as a school the use of Office 365 and Microsoft Teams. I'm sure many uh, listeners would have have students or children that use this platform, um, especially at high school. So we've set up class pages where, um, so I have a Year 7 science page um, where they can ask questions of me as the teacher or other students about the work or pose questions for themselves. So I think using online software like that could be used in the future so it doesn't uh, require 
them being in the actual classroom to seek that support. Found that students that do the best at school are those that actually do ask questions when they don't know what's happening. And I think this has provided a platform for them to not have to, you know, physically be there or verbalise it. They can post mm. online for the teacher or other students to answer the questions. So I guess my hope is that these pages continue for my classes yeah. in the future to provide that platform. And I guess just the use of IT as a whole, they've learned how to use WebEx and record themselves for a project. So using these technologies would be would be great. It's interesting because uh, some of my colleagues who are in the IT area who we work closely with, um, they sort of said that, wow, finally, you know, we promised we didn't set this pandemic, but, you know, life of them that they've been sort of encouraging over the last 10, 10 years, mm-hmm. all of a sudden in two months it's all just come to fruition. So they're very excited. Yeah. And they, they, they are assuring us that they didn't set, set it up for, <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so maybe just to finish off, uh, Lockie, just what are some key takeaways for parents or for teachers or the young people um, and some things that they can focus on? Sure. So I think one of the big things is what this has shown is that when parents um, become more involved in their children's education, we, we do gain lots of benefits. Um, so knowing what the students are learning at school um allows the students, I guess, to grow and learn um, to greater effect, I guess. Um, multiple exposures to content is something that we talk a lot about at school as, as educators, so providing the information in a variety of ways and on multiple occasions. So the fact that we do it in the classroom, um, so before this pandemic we would talk about it in the classroom and then reflect on it in the next lesson and maybe it, it ends there, but... The fact that parents or those parents that are showing some interest in what they're learning at home and then I talk about it again in the lesson just allows that to be taken up um, to great extent by the students. And even just the communication, I think, has increased between the parents and students and teachers throughout this process. I've had more emails than I've ever had from parents asking, you know, what does this mean or how can we help in this situation, etc. So I hope that this, you know, this this style of thing continues and parents continue to ask questions at the dinner table about what they're learning um, because mm-hmm. of the long run. Yeah, and I'm sure parents are really noticing the uh, differences to their education um, in terms of, like what you're saying, pro- uh, project-based learning, uh, being construction you know constructing their own learning rather than being told this is what you do so um it would be opening their eyes to some new new ways of learning for their young people amazing amazing um again to hear stories of teachers being adaptable and unflappable both through the remote and flexible learning and on site so sometimes you had to have some students on site and you were also working with students who were remote and then it sort of came down to mainly remote now. Well, it was funny that um, there was that period of time we only had VC students and uh, they, they did say to us, oh, we, we love not having the junior or the year sevens to tens here. We're happy. It's a lot quieter and the teachers are happier as well at the moment because of the wow. sevens to tens not being there, um, which is interesting. Yeah, it is. And, and I don't know about you, but when I got to being in those old classes, your teachers were your friends and it would be like being on on, uh, on site with all, all the people that you like hanging out with. So, oh, that's great. Well, this is terrific because I think as a, as a profession we've got this collective inquiry about us looking at what are the essential conditions and supports for our children and families so that they can learn and thrive thrive in the remote learning uh, circumstances. And I think you've done a terrific job in making sense of that. And we're all on the little wheel, you know, uh, trying to make sense of it. And then we're fortunate, well, fortunate enough that we had that experience to make this second round just as successful. So good on you, Lockie. Caitlin Smith is here with us, another one of our wonderful colleagues in the teaching profession. Just get a little bit of a context around what your role 
is in education? Um, I'm a kindergarten teacher in a early childhood in the early childhood setting in a early learning centre. Sorry, um, so I'm still working with my on-site learners as well as online learners because we're considered childcare as well. We still have remained open essentially the whole entire time through COVID. Right, and how has your your early learning centre approach the remote and flexible learning in terms of technology or synchronised, asynchronised, independent sort of options? So we've just sort of started off with a basic sort of outline of what we're going to do and just working on a day-by-day basis, trying to figure out what's going to work, what's not going to work. Because we have such young children, um, some days may work brilliantly whilst others may not work really well. Um, In both sort of lockdown settings, we've sent home little care packs for the children and for their parents, just with some little fun craft activities, some suggestions of what their parents can do at home, just to kind of have that little bit of excitement and spark into their learning whilst they're remaining at home. And when it did, I'm guessing you also, over May and June, it opened up that everybody came back again? Yes. So you just had everybody back on site. What did that look like? With our centre, what happened, uh, we went from about a 30% occupancy level right the way up to 90%. So it was a very big jump and it was it was quite hard to sort of go back from having a small amount of children back up to essentially being really full. So then adapting back into normal life. The thing that we did find is that our learners adapted really well to coming back. So having that time at home with their parents really helps them. They've come back even more confident than they were initially prior to their first lockdown. What's interesting that we're talking about the the teachers being very adaptable and unflappable, but it sounds like our young people in the kinder setting are also very adaptable. I was talking to one young girl who's in prep who told me the other day that last year when she was in prep, which was really term one, she was in prep. (laughs) So she talks about it in terms, (laughs) which is very cute. What are you noticing other than your learners as being adaptable? What are you noticing about your parents um, through this experience? So the parents are sort of um, in that unknown category at the moment. They're sort of not sure what they should be doing at home, what they shouldn't be doing, um, and sort of their expectations of what it should look like. I mean, in my sort of setting, it's a lot easier for the parents and I need to Uh, relax the parents they think that they've got to do all of these things like teach them to read teach them to write when in actual fact just sitting with them playing with them doing normal household tasks like cooking and gardening and cleaning are all going to help their children um, learn and develop and they don't really need to be focusing on these sort of sit down tasks at a table and making that time and just having fun with their children is the most important part really. Yeah and you know quite often um, I mean, have three children, but it was always so funny. I could have more time with my kids. Well, now's mm. the time that we can have some uh, more time with them. What are you noticing here as some new patterns that are emerging um, in relation to the relationships, in relation to schooling or for learning? So one thing, it's not really a new pattern, but one thing that has become more important now well, more than ever is that parents are really paramount to their children's learning and just having them there is helping these learners so much more than they think. Um, so like we've always thought about that in the past about how parents are really important in their children's learning and and they're their first teachers but now more than ever these parents are able to essentially stay home with their children and spend that time with them that we wouldn't normally be able to get and that's seen such an improvement. I've had children who prior to the first lockdown very nervous, anxious. They would always be quite upset when their parents left. Um, And then once they came back from their first lockdown, they were like a whole new child. They were this happy, bubbly, their real personality was shining through because they had all that time with their parents that they wouldn't normally get during the week. Wow, that's amazing that you can see that transformation and that, that confidence has grown. Definitely, and it's not just in one or two. It's in a lot of the children, so which is great. So that obviously is an area that really matters, especially readiness for being mm. for moving away from your parents and that confidence, but also having that trust that they'll still be there. 
Exactly. Yeah. So where next? What do you think that your centre or yourself have sort of learnt through this experience and your vision for the education when we do, I don't want to say go back, but when we move move into our new normal? I really hope that we can go back to some form of normality with our face-to-face learning and having all of the learners back. Just one thing sort of that I've learnt through this process is just to keep evolving and keep changing with whatever's thrown at you essentially and just change the way you're doing some things. One day something may work, the next it may not. So just always being adaptable. And even in the future, we've quite enjoyed sort of our little online sessions where we can catch up with all of our friends. It's kind of fun. The children can show us their home and their their pets that they have at home and their siblings, which has been really good. So maybe keeping some form of online aspect involved somehow in the future. Um, But all in all, I'd really love for it to go back to normal. It's not quite the same when you have five children out of 22. Yeah. And you're also a mum with a young kid. Yeah. Um, So that would be the similar sort of messaging that you'd be offering um, as a mum. Definitely um, as a mum would be the same sort of thing. I haven't had the luxury of having her home with me because I haven't been home Um, but just sort of getting back into that sense of normal I know she's struggled a bit with hers because she also learns Auslan um, not having that the ability to sort of do that from home yes I can do some basic signs and things at home but not having people signing with her at, at all times during the day and she's sort of missing out on those aspects that I can't necessarily help her with whereas normal sort of kindergarten things that's not so much an issue, but that sort of aspect, I can't really help her as much as I'd like to. Yeah. So you sort of, I think the uh, full full idea here is that um, having the resourcing around particular kids being responsive to the students, learning with and from them are really critical here and to be innovative and move move beyond and be be responsive through the innovation. Yeah, exactly. What about co- uh, connections with your colleagues? Like do you plan or do you have some time where you get together as a centre? Yeah, definitely. So we do a lot of sort of teamwork between sort of our rooms and whatnot and different um, teachers and then educators as well. So we just kind of have like little informal chats where we talk about what we're going to do, what ideas we have, and we sort of brainstorm what we think, whether we think it's going to work, um, whether we think it's not going to work and sort of brainstorm or what can we do next time to make it a little bit better um so definitely spending that time having those sort of informal chats um has been good and what are you noticing around the young people's attention span and ability to concentrate uh if you do offer them a synchronized online conference or connection do you put them all in the room together or is it a one-to-one so we put them all in the room together which is a lot of fun. Um, the first few days of doing it, it was challenging because they're all talking over the top. They don't realise they can mute themselves. So the first few days were a bit of a hit and miss. Um, but now the children sort of get through. They understand that once they finish talking, they put themselves on mute or their parents help them. Um, but one task we always do to start off every single session is we read one of our favourite funny um, books and all of the books that are our favourite at the moment is actually Andy Lee's do not open this book. So I have all of them and every it doesn't matter what day it is, we'll read one of them and the kids will be laughing both on site and on the computer and we're all laughing, having the best time. So that's really been able to sort of keep that connection because they absolutely love the books. So had you already sort of introduced the, those books in Term 1? Is that why they've got these connections yeah. with Andy? Or is it because Andy Lee has got something to do with Campbell Hockey Club? That uh... No, I've, I've had his book. <laughs> Uh, since they came out and every time I pop into Kmart and there's a new book, I'm there and I buy it. Um, but the children, I have a, a section of just funny books. Um, look, I have all of Andy Lee's. I have a few other ones. Um, but the kids always choose those books over any other normal, typical story. They always choose those books. They ask based on the colour of the uh, book. They either want the black one, the yellow one, the pink one. So, Yes. Perfect. So they're learning their colours too along the oh, way. Oh, definitely. 
And have you got an example, Caitlin, of, of a family that actually are doing some good stuff? Um, yeah, definitely. So we've had, I mean, this particular parent, she's a primary school teacher. So I had her in one of our sessions on Friday, it was, and it was just a little informal. Um, using natural resources, we're going to make the letters of the alphabet. So she was just able to set that up for her daughter and we had the children on site and we just had an absolutely lovely time just like setting that up all together and showing each other our work. And um, obviously it was really handy that she was there. She had everything with her and she knew sort of what was expected. It was a very easy task, um, but it was just fantastic to see her involved in it and not just we've had a few parents that just leave their children with the screen and then they're off doing whatever they need to be doing. But she was involved in the session sort of helping out and whatnot, which was great to see. Thanks, Caitlin, for joining us today. Our next guest is Lena Perryman, who comes from the primary school sector, and she's another another one of our teacher colleagues that's offering us her experience and perspective and some tips around remote and flexible learning. Thanks, Lena, for joining us. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about your role within education? Thanks, Kelly. Um, So I'm a primary school teacher. I teach in the public school system. I teach three, four, but mainly um, my experience has been early years. Um, So I've taught here in Melbourne, um, back home in Tasmania, and I've also taught overseas in the UK. So I've had some varying experiences along with some early childhood um, experience with daycare and kindergarten teaching. So, yeah, I've kind of seen a cross-section of education. Right. Wow. And you've probably seen... Very, if you're keeping connected with any of your colleagues, they're probably all experiencing very different things across yeah. those three areas of Tasmania, Melbourne, and overseas. Was it UK that you were in? Yeah, I was in, um, in London um, for two years. Um, so I've been able to keep in touch with some friends over there and hear their experience with lockdown. Um, also, had some friends who work and live in Dubai and they've had a different experience as well. And then, yeah, my friends back home in Tasmania. Um, again, varying experiences. It's been very interesting to hear the support they've had from their schools, support they've had from families and support they've given. It's been, um, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, similarities and then, uh, of course, so many differences, which has been, yeah, very interesting. So tell us about your what's happened for you. Um, so I suppose um, just like everybody else, um, Back in March, I think we were approaching this at the end of term one, uh, thrown straight in the deep end. Um, We had one staff meeting uh, where we were given (laughs) all our Google codes and were told, go, have a go, (laughs) create your Google Classroom, have a, you know, just see what you can do, have a play around. And we're all very much like, oh, my goodness. You know, we were trying to figure out how best to present learning how to record things how to come across on recordings very interesting I you know like many other people spend a lot of time watching YouTube and Instagram and things like that and I was like oh my goodness I'm gonna have to start you know this kind of online persona but um I think that very quickly was you know it's just so much easier just to be yourself but um yeah I think keeping an open mind was something you know we all kept on coming back to just like this is just going to have to be an evolution you know what we do this week is not what we're going to do next week like with that was kind of I suppose trying to get the parents on board that things this week are not going to be the same as next week in that first initial few weeks um I think as well uh the volume of emails was something that I wasn't necessarily uh, ready for so that was um, also something that I had to develop skills in um, you know knowing how to triage an inbox hasn't been something as a teacher I was normally uh, you know day to day I was you know you get a couple emails in the morning maybe send an email once or twice a week to a parent but mostly phone calls and playground chats is how we normally communicated Um, so that that was definitely uh, a new set of skills I had to develop. I suppose the main thing that we, that myself and my team um, really focused on was trying to create realistic and manageable workload for ourselves, for the kids, um, and just trying to reiterate that all the time with the parents. Um, 
and the children that, you know, what we got done today, you can't compare to what you might get done tomorrow. Or if you didn't get much done earlier in the week, you could try and catch up. But if you didn't, that was okay. So those those kind of things were really important to our approach. Um, and I think a big take home has been something that I've had to remind myself every day and remind the children every day. And even in emails now, the other week I sent an email to a parent and it's that uh, pre-COVID expectations versus the COVID expectations. And so I think that's been a really important thing to like keep coming back to when we approach online learning is um, what we could get done in pre-COVID is very different to what we can get done now. And that expectation needs to really be on par with what we're experiencing every day. So can you give an example of that? That's, that sounds interesting. So I suppose in terms of um, academic achievement and uh, progress, um, even down to little things like, oh, we didn't get this, we, you know, we, I've got two other children in the, in the home and we've got to get all, these work, all this work done and we've got, to, we've got this schedule you've given me and, and I've, we've got to get through it all. Um, and I keep trying to remind parents um, that, you know, the schedule's there if you want it, but if you want to make your own schedule, you've got the flexibility to do that. If you didn't get every task done today, well, that's okay because guess what? We're at home in lockdown in a global pandemic and, yes, we would have got so much more done in a day in a classroom but we're in a completely different environment and and we're all dealing with the stresses in different ways and the kids, some children have, you know, really adapted well to, you know, being at home, um, others not so much and that is completely okay. So, you know, and then also on myself as a teacher I'm thinking, oh, you know, I need to be, creating all these different learning experiences and I need to be checking up and maybe if this child needs a little bit of extra help I should be developing more things or this and that and all these different things that if I was in the classroom completely achievable completely manageable but again I've got my own stress and my own mental health and my own dealings with COVID to factor in as well and I think um that's been something you have to remind yourself every day as you approach online learning that, you know, what I got done yesterday, maybe I was in a really great mood and I was like getting things done, getting them ticked off, but that doesn't mean that's going to happen today. It could happen, which would be fantastic, mm. but if it doesn't, that's okay. Each day is a new day. Um, and that, that's been a really important lesson to really hammer home, I think, to colleagues, parents and the children. Just so I'm going to take advantage of um, plugging that you're one of our, you and I are <laughs> one of the mental health first aiders. Yeah. So, of course, that um, the need for connection and to be able to manage yourself and being able to flag when you are mm. falling falling down and needing some support, mm. just a little plug there for the first aiders that that's what we're here for. Yeah, um, but that idea of a routine and and then them scheduling it themselves, that's that's interesting because you sort of what I'm hearing from um, our people today and also my teacher colleagues that I work with every day is that there's this need for um, doing what the teacher tells us to do. Yeah, to, yeah. To not that. It's actually these are suggestions. Yeah. Um, this is... You need to be aware of your own. Like at the moment in education, we've, there's a big push for the Amplifier, which is the learner agency, mm, yeah. and encouraging the kids to be yeah. in the position to be willing and a desire to control and manage their learning. Yeah, definitely. And seek seek support. Yeah, I think we. Um, I think as educators, we have this real focus on that children need routine. And I you know, definitely agree with that to a point, but at the same time where we've got a large focus on schools developing children and people that are ready for the world and the world doesn't have routine. Um, and I think that's mm. something I really try in my classroom. I have a routine, but if the routine throws, is thrown out or if I decide to change my mind, I don't like to modicoddle the children around it. I just go, guys, we've got something different happening today. Let's go. 
rather than like being like, it's, it, will it be okay? Can we change it? And I think that's something parents have forgotten is they can use their own problem-solving skills and so can the children. And if something isn't working, um, instead of trying to, you know, push, uh, push their way through this schedule that the teacher has said that here it is, you know, you can, can think outside the box. You can, you know, have a go at something else at a different time of the day just because literacy is scheduled for the first half of the day. If it's not working, try it the second half of the day. If it's not working then, hey, let's just do something else that's slightly yeah. relatable. Like if we're, you know, reading about habitats and, you know, at the moment my inquiry topic is, you know, uh, life cycles and habitats and food webs and stuff. If that reading hasn't been completed, jump on ABC iView and find something about the Australian outback. Or you know, I think um, I think we're all forgetting that we're kind of the master of our own destiny, and and we can change things up a bit. And you know, if you shoot your teacher a quick email and say, "Hey, we couldn't get this done today, but we did this instead," you're going to get a response saying, "Hey, that's awesome. Thank you so much for letting yeah. us know." That's a great idea. I might share that as well with other people because, you know, if they're having troubles getting that done too, then you can have a go at doing this instead. So I think it's really important that, yeah, we all think start thinking that our schedules aren't, you know, set in stone. Yeah, there's some flexibility and that the kids have got some voicing around this. Yeah, it's not about... Yeah, exactly. To be just like we're trying to be innovators and developers, not mm. compliance. Yeah. We're encouraging our young people to be doing the same. Yeah. Well, this sounds great, Lena. You've obviously got some wonderful things that are happening for your learners, but it sounds like you've got a real passion here for being in the classroom with the kids. Is there something here that you're really missing about that? Yeah, I mean, the classroom and the environment, the physical environment of the classroom is something that I'm really missing. Um, So for starters, I like to pull from my early childhood experience and, you know, use the environment as that third educator, as we sometimes say, that you can um, create physical environments that inspire and, and, you know, create conversation and investigation and in curiosity so you know I really miss having that physical space for the kids to develop their learning and ask more questions uh, for example I really love using like creating like story tables where the children can come and you know you look at the physical items that I've got to then develop stories around or, you know, the displays that you use to interact with writing or reading um, the different strategies and they can use those things when they, they're in their learning and they can refer back to perhaps learning they've done. Like, you know, when I create displays in the classroom, they're normally developing displays. So every time I start a new unit of um writing for example if we're exploring a genre of narrative then I start with a blank display and while we learn together I love to put the children's work up there that shows each part of how to write a narrative and by the end of the unit you've got this rich learning board that you know shows them exactly how to write a narrative and gives them inspiration to then um, you know when they sit down and write they can look up at that and go oh, so-and-so put that up there and, and they had a really good idea for like a, a plot or so-and-so put that up there. They had a great idea for an environment for a narrative or how does my, is how is my narrative structured? Oh, look, we did this work where we all drew beautiful story mountains and now Miss Lena is like, you know, displayed them up here and I know how a narrative works and how, um, you know, I have to have a beginning, middle and end. And so that physical environment that you create where celebrating children's work and your um yeah building together that that um knowledge is something I really miss along with obviously the children themselves like this year I have a really incredible group of humans in my class like they're just so diverse they're so thoughtful insightful and I'm missing those relationships and those connections that you get to build with a classroom of children um, and you know, missing all those tiny little milestones, you know, missing celebrating their birthdays or, you know, having those 
incidental conversations in the playground with their parents and you know there's so much there are all those little intricacies to teaching that you know um is why you at the end of the day love your job um you mm. know when you're sitting there after school at five o'clock marking test papers or inputting data or like you know trying to you know grade things and put progression points for reports you're just like I know this job ah but then you like you're like oh why do I do this this is ridiculous and then the next day you'll come into school and one of the kids will tell you some silly story from the night before or they'll you know they'll do something they'll come up to you and they're like oh I remembered how we did this or that and they you know put their learning together and you're like this is this is the job where you're not getting Mm. that here with the online learning we yeah we try to like have as many interactions as we can a day with the children, but it's just yeah, it's not the same as being in the classroom with them and developing this you know community. So there was something that you mentioned at one of our mental health first aid meetings that your school's doing some great things in the area of wellbeing through this time. Is, do you want to share some of those? Yeah, so our school is one of the. Um, one of the first schools to implement the four R's program, and you're going to ask me what four R's stand for. Uh, resilience, rights, respectful relationships. We use that program in the classroom, and um, obviously, um, and it's a new pro. It's a program that's been going for a few years now in Victoria, but we were one of the first schools to implement it. Um, it's really relies heavily on looking at what children, what qualities and values children need to be those types of people that that have respect for one another, that have resilience, that, you know, know how to develop respectful relationships. Um, and we, so this time, you know, the first round of online learning, we had um, obviously our allocated time for the four R's each week um and we had you know some you know each week we also had some well-being that um one of the teachers would develop some lessons but this time around we've really stepped it up and every day there is a well-being session um and that is either you know doing some mindfulness or you know the other day we the children went outside and scavenged for different leaves and garden bits and pieces and made a beautiful smiley face and shared those and um thinking about um an affirmation every day like I'm strong I am I'm um a good person and giving that allocated time in the day that the children can either do the said activity or they can do something that they are also passionate about. So that's the other thing that we have also scheduled is a passion project. So the children choosing um, an area that they're super interested in, that's something that they want to share their knowledge about. Um, And there's been some really wonderful um, examples. So I had one child in my class, her and her grandfather built a billy cart together. And, you know, and then she shared this lovely story that, Recently, her grandmother had passed away and um, her grandfather was very lonely and that building the billy cart together was bringing him that joy and that happiness that he was missing. And she said, you know, spending time, he said spending time with me has been really great because it's been really helping him, you know, with his grief. And, you know, sharing those lovely stories of things that they're passionate about but then also how they're bringing their family into it has also been really wonderful. So the children are getting to be able to express and have that downtime and and then also share with the rest of the class, which is really important. And as like a whole school as well, we're implementing different initiatives to try and create a more community connection. Where we're situated in Melbourne, we have a we have majority of the children live around the school. So normally we have really strong community connection and so we're starting an initiative this week uh is a send a picture of you and your pet so we're putting those things into the newsletter so we've got each week a different um, way of sharing what's going on in our family homes um with the wider school community because 
I think one thing that's really become uh, quite clear to me with talking to different parents is people um, and families aren't understanding that what they're experiencing is also what other people are experiencing. And sometimes I think we're getting stuck in that headspace that my child's not engaging, my child isn't focused, I'm not being able to support my child with their learning. But it, we, but I think a lot of parents are experiencing that and and hearing that they're not the only ones and hearing that other things are going on in their family, like good things like, you know, the passion projects and the different bits and pieces the children are doing um, needs to be shared more so that we can bring that community back, feeling back into schools because they are, they're the first community children really get to experience and um, it's really important to bring those those ties back together. Which is interesting. I've just noticed you talked earlier what you miss is this celebration in the classroom of creating knowledge together and relationships and so you're trying to bring that through in this wider community of a celebration of the passion projects or some uh, things that are going on on for you that uh, affirm you and make you get yeah. through the day which yeah is, which is great so Lena before you talked a little bit about what you loved about and what you're missing and you also said that you're not missing those evenings where you're sitting and um, inputting data and looking at a standardized test to make a judgment about kids. Do you want to elaborate a little bit about what that means for you and maybe what that might mean when we are in our schools with our kids? Yeah, so I think we have this curriculum that we all, as educators, we constantly saying is very crowded um, and we're expected to develop children and people that are ready for this world that's as I said it's it's changing and you know the children that I have in my class right now um by the time they finish university there's going to be a job that wasn't invented right now so I think thinking about how we send our children to school and whether they're ready in terms of socially and emotionally ready because then delivering those academics and teachers being able to assess progress and learning on more than a NAP plan result. So this year we didn't have NAP plan um, and I think Australia-wide you could hear every teacher in year three, seven and 11, just <laughs> nine, sorry, just like cheering because it is um, this test that, you know, some schools place a really large expectation on, some schools don't, other schools, um, you know, have a medium ground to it. And I think it it's not a measure of how a child is going and we say that all the time, it's one day out of the year. Um, but, you know, the fact that we haven't got that plan this year and the fact that in terms of formal assessment we haven't really had a lot of time with the children to be able to do that and so I think for the first time in a very long time teacher judgment is really very important and believing that teachers know how to assess a child and their progress and their ability without a test without um, sitting down and scrawling out reams and reams of different things that just say they can do this. Um, I think also it's really important that moderation between year groups um, and, you know, above and below whatever year group you're at is really important to have a rich conversation with those teachers saying, you know, this is the expectation for this year group. Do you believe what you've seen from this child and you know their their abilities and their capable what they're capable of? Do you think that this child is going to be able to succeed and be health, healthy and happy in the next year level because you know this, this and this about them? Like do you know that they're a resilient learner? Do you know that they will ask questions? Um, do you know that they will have a, 
a, a good go at something before coming to asking coming to ask you for help you know do are they are they self-starters will they um focus um i think all of those things are a loss sometimes in this you know testing world and those things are really important and we talk about children having a growth mindset and how that changes their ability to succeed you know you may not be you know classically academic but if you have a growth mindset and you're able to recognize when something hasn't gone right but you can try and have a go at it again you can use your own help help seeking skills you can use your problem solving skills to go I've tried it this way maybe I could try it that way those things are so important and I think those if you know those things about the students in your class then you're able to really make a good assessment on what kind of learner they are and whether or not they're going to succeed um, or whether or not they're going to need extra support and I think that's something that um, has been I feel lost a little bit in um, education that we're not we're not trusting our teachers to make judgment calls yeah and I think that's also something that is has become apparent with online learning is the conversations I've had with parents about providing their child with extra support or have you noticed this this you know have you noticed this about your child? I think we need to explore this a little bit more. And sometimes as a teacher, you know, yes, I don't have the skills to assess a child in terms of extra support, but I do pick up on those things that I've just spoken about, resilience and self-help and things like that. And if children aren't displaying those at a certain developmental mm. age, then they need some extra support and they need to be explored outside of the school. Um, and I think that's been a very interesting thing is parents coming back to teachers and saying, hold up, something's not, something's not adding up here you, and saying, oh, so you know how we had that conversation about my child needing a little extra help? Hey, yeah, yeah look, I'm noticing that now. And this is why we're fortunate that our Victorian curriculum offers us a framework where we have the knowledge and understanding. We also have the skills and capabilities, but a really strong part of it, which is sort of new, is the general capabilities and the proficiencies, which is about that reasoning, that problem solving, mm. the 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 day to day. What you notice them as being as a learner is is the really critical yeah. parts, and that's one of the great things that I agree with you. We're missing out on seeing that daily but families yeah. can also be partners in noticing those things yeah and I think definitely um, online learning has exemplified families noticing those um those needs and and I've had you know a couple of families that have now come back to me and said oh yeah we're going to start exploring things with you know we're gonna seek advice outside the school community so I think that's yeah. definitely a positive thing. Um, sometimes I think there's this feeling that it, once you start exploring those different ways that children need support, it perhaps provides a label and a disadvantage, but I think it only provides an opportunity for children to gain extra support, you know, gives them the ability to have the language to seek help for themselves as well. Um, which mm. is so important. If the child doesn't know why they're struggling, um, they're not given the tools and the power to say, "Hey, I'm I'm not I'm not coping." You know, if, if a child knows that perhaps they're struggling with their audio processing, they can come to someone. You know, if they know that, they can say, "You know what? Actually, I'm I need my teacher to know that I can't sit in that part of the classroom, or I need I need my teacher to know that." I can't sit next to that person or I'm going to need to be, um, you know, can my teacher write that down for me so I've got a list of instructions. And children, once they know those things, they're so great at communicating them. They're, they're, they're so yeah. wonderful at being their own advocates. They, they, they want you to know how to help them. They want to be helped. Which comes back, yeah, what you were talking about right at the earlier stage of organizing their time and not you know they, there's a schedule there's a suggestion of a schedule mm. but let's 
modify it and and bring it to what you're noticing about yourself as a learner and what helps you yeah yeah and that's I think that noticing what is important for you as a learner that's the other thing that I really noticed with online learning is the way that families have adapted their learning and have changed things so that it really suits what their children need um and thinking yeah thinking how can we how can we make this activity more suitable to what my child needs you've been listening to the Camberwell hockey podcast we'd like to send a big thank you to our hosting team our guests and you the listener for your support if you enjoy the show please give us a review on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts this show is recorded and produced by Camberwell hockey club in melbourne australia If you have any feedback, comments or questions, please find us on Twitter at Camberwell underscore HC or see more information on our website, camberwell.hockey. See you next week.